0: That's like four or five weeks away. We are so excited. Uh, We're also gonna do something different this year. We're gonna have a Good Friday service. uh, And we are working together with the team uh, to put together something impactful uh, is the word I think I'd use. Something where we get to spend some time really contemplating uh, what happened. On that Friday. So uh, put that on your calendars. Good Friday is the Friday before Easter, if you're not familiar. Easter is the last Sunday, March 31st uh, this year. Okay, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. It's a big chunk. It says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but the law, but through righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, "'I have made you the father of many nations.' In the presence of God, in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it is credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but for us also. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. This is a, this is a really, a, it's a great section of scripture. We're reading about, just like last week, we're reading about Abraham and his faith and how he triumphs and, and just how all this works together. And we're supposed to read what Paul's saying and see, okay, Abraham believed and he had faith and this is great and I, can, I have faith too, right? We read uh, Romans 4, 23, 24. Now, it was credited to him, was not just written for Abraham alone, but for us also. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It's, it's fantastic. We read this and we get excited. Yay! Calm down, Gabriel. We get excited, and we're, we're just ready to run. But we have a problem. Everybody say, we got a problem. Thank you, Tony. Tony's got problems. He knows it. <laughs> wow. Wait. Uh, we got a problem. Is our problem is that when we go back and we read the story of Abraham, Abraham does not start out this faithful guy. Abraham, when we read the story of Abraham, we don't see that he starts out as this amazing, faithful person who God says, Abraham, go do this. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. And he just floats away and he goes and does the thing. No, Abraham's got problems. Abraham has issues. Abraham makes a bunch of mistakes. And part of that is because faith and fear usually sit right next to each other. And faith is often action in the midst of fear. We can sometimes read the stories of these great heroes in the Bible and think, oh, they had it together. I mean, Abraham, he did all these things. He's the father of faith. Abraham uh, sorry, David is known as, as, as someone who, who loves God. We, we read these stories about these, these great men and women in the Bible who did these amazing, faith-filled things, and we think, oh, just that's not me. I make mistakes. Uh, On the daily, I, I let God down. I let people down. I let myself down. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible, is it doesn't record the highlights. It records the failures as well. So this morning, what I want us to do is go through and look at Abraham's four big mistakes. Because before he became the father of faith and the father of us all, he made a lot of big mistakes. And I think that if we can see that, then we can see that we're in good shape as well. Mistake number one, I'm calling greener pastures, right? So the first mistake we see is that Abraham has the the promise from God to go to the land of Canaan, which becomes Israel. But then he left the land. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. If you're not familiar with the Abraham story, it's in the very beginning of Genesis, in 12 through, I think, 25. Uh, It says, there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Abraham gets called to this land, he, he receives this call from God, and he's faithful, he goes, right? He does what he's supposed to do, but then he gets there, and there's a famine in the land. A famine means there's no food, there's no rain, the crops aren't growing, and Abraham gets hungry. And Abraham does what everybody would do when they get hungry, they go looking for food, that's what we do. So often our hunger, whether it be physical hunger, uh, emotional hunger, uh, financial, whatever it might be, our hunger drives us to go do things and abandon God's promise. God said, I will provide for you. Abraham went, I am hungry. And he went in search of food. Now he goes to Egypt and we might not think this is a big deal, they're pretty close together. What's the problem? Well, a lot of times what happens in life is one act of disobedience, leads us further down the rabbit hole. And we end up places that we shouldn't be, and we end up places that we shouldn't have gone in the first place, and all of a sudden it makes room for more errors, because the next two big mistakes come off the heels of this. The promise from God was that he would inherit, he, Abraham, would inherit the land. And if God is the one who makes you a promise, you can count on it. If God says, I will bless you, then he will bless you. He can bless you in a recession. He can bless you when times are good. He can bless you when you think you've got it. He can bless you when you know you don't have it. If God is the one who says, I will bless you, you can count on that blessing. Psalms 50, 10 through 12 says, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and everything in it is mine, says the Lord. It's all His. It's all God's. And He can do whatever He wants with it. Now, this is not a promise that everybody will be blessed, unstressed, and at rest. But it is a promise that God can do whatever He wants to do. It's a statement that God has all of the resources. <clears throat> It's a statement and a promise from God that I can take care of you in any and every situation. I have seen miracles that have caught me off guard. I have come home w- w- early on in our, our ministry where we had no money, no food, no Christmas presents, and come home to bags of food and presents. I, I have seen Gas just show up in my car as I'm driving down the road, stressing because I'm not even going to make it to church this morning, and I see the gas needle go up. Right? I've seen miracles, and sometimes the miracle is that God provides food when you need food. Sometimes the miracle is that you're not hungry. Sometimes the miracle is you learn to worship hungry. He can provide if we don't limit his provision. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret to being content. Anybody want to know the secret to being content? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the secret to contentment. Yes, we use it at volleyball games. That's not what he's talking about here. Sorry. I am my volleyball players up here. Someone's going to spike something on my head. The secret to contentment is that Jesus is my strength. The secret to contentment is my relationship with God determines how I react to any and every other situation. The secret to contentment is I don't have to worry about food on my table, gas in my car, my bills being paid. I got to do what I got to do, right? I got to go to work. I got I to pay my bills. I got to do my best. But I, it's not up to me. It's Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret to contentment. And Abraham didn't know that. He hadn't learned that yet. And like we talked about last week, he didn't have his Bible. He didn't have a Bible to go back to and be like, oh, I'm so glad Paul wrote that in Philippians. That gives me strength today. Abraham had to learn it, and that's our application is God can provide if we wait on him. Psalms chapter 40, verse 31, it says, but those who, tru- those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will re- soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. When we wait on God. He gives us the strength we need to carry on if we wait on him. That brings us to mistake number two. Now Abraham at this point, he's in Egypt. Shouldn't have gone there but that's where he is. Mistake number two is Abraham hides the truth about his wife. Abraham is now where he shouldn't be and this leads him to lie about his wife. Genesis chapter 12 verses 12 through 13. When the when the Egyptians see you, this is Abraham talking, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me but let you live. So please say you're my sister so that it will go well for you, go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Now, technically, Sarah is Abraham's half-sister. And, and before we judge too harshly, we have a, his, a tendency in our world to judge and impose modern standards on people who lived in a time long ago. And I'm not saying it was right, but that's what they did. And that he w- he wasn't completely lying, right? A- Abraham, he wasn't like entirely telling a falsehood there. I'd just say, she's my that's my sister. But the problem is, Abraham failed at being honorable and truthful. Abraham, where he failed to protect his wife's honor and keep her pure. He let Pharaoh take her because a half-truth is a whole lie. And as far as mistakes go, this was huge. Huge. Abraham, or God tells Abraham back in uh, Genesis 12 too, that he will make Abraham's name great. And I think that's probably Abraham's biggest failure here is God was trying to make Abraham's name great so that when people heard Abraham's name, they went, oh, I know that guy. Oh, that's a good man. And Abraham was tarnishing the name that God was trying to make great. God wanted Abraham's name to mean something because a name is important. Uh, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than gold or silver. You only get one name. And what you do with it, how you present it to the world, tells the world what you're worth, what your name is worth. Somebody once told me, uh, when you put your name on something, you're saying this represents me and the best of my ability. I didn't know that in school. Like in high school, I didn't understand that. Nobody had told me that. My name meant nothing to me growing up. I had to learn that over time. And and, and it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a paper for school, if it's a business proposal, if it's something else. Your name and what you do with it tells people what you're worth. And God was trying to make Abraham's name mean something. God was trying to make it important. And God goes on to restore Abraham's name and that's that's our application for the mistake number 2. Is, our name can be reclaimed. Like if you, you you might not have a name that's worth anything right now in your mind or maybe you've done some stuff like you know that when people hear your name like they hear your name and they go oh her. <laughs> no, no. No, I I know what she's done. I I know what she's like. You might have a name where somebody people use your name in your family and they go uh, he said that? I don't believe it. He's always telling stories. Like you can have done things to tarnish your name, but God can redeem it. That is exciting. That is, that is powerful because when we talk about God redeeming us, we're not just talking about the fact that, like we said up here, like he doesn't just save your soul. He says, your name I'm going to make great. Your name is important because I put my name on you as well. So when we say the name of Chia, when I, and I, we tease Chia, because I love Chia. He's an easy target. He sits right there. It's like my line of sight. But you know what? If I go out in the community to most people and I talk about Chia, they're going to go, I know him. Oh, I like that man a lot, <laughs> but I like that man. <laughs> That's right. Right? Your name has value, and God wants the value to be on your name to be right, and he can restore it. So if you're sitting in here this morning, and you're, if you're a student, and you know, like I'll give an example, okay, here we go, I'll be real for just a second. I walked into science class, mm, sophomore year I think it was, we had a substitute teacher, and I sit down in my chair, like, good boy, not really, I didn't sit, but anyway, I sit down in my chair, and she reads my name, and she goes, Mr. Farley, and I said, yes, she goes, you can go ahead and go to the I was like, fair enough. (laughs) She knew something was going to happen. She knew something bad was going to happen because she saw my name. Now, that didn't bother me then, but it crushes me now. Because I want my name to mean something. I want your name to mean something. I want your name to mean something. So that when people in our community hear your name, when they hear the name Ruth, they go, oh, yeah, hands down, godly woman. And if you're not there now, don't stress, because God can reclaim your name. Mistake number three. The hitch just keep coming for Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they went somewhere they shouldn't have been. They started out being somewhere they shouldn't have been, and then they did some stuff they shouldn't have done. Mistake number three is they take matters into their own hands. They're in Egypt. That whole situation gets resolved. Not very well, but it gets resolved. They get blessed, they get sent away. Abraham's got a new servant, or uh, Sarah's got a new servant. And Sarah can't have kids. So she tells Abraham to take Hagar, her servant, and be with her, you know what that means, have kids. Genesis chapter 16, verses one and two. Abraham's wife, Sarai, this is uh, her name before she gets a name change, and before he does his name change, had not borne any children to him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abraham agreed. Hagar conceives and gives birth to Ishmael. Now Ishmael becomes the father of the, uh, of the Arab people. Most Arab people follow uh, Islam. This all traces back to this moment. This is not what God had promised Abraham. This isn't what he said to him. But Abraham, in his desperation and impatience, does what seems right to him. And again, this is one of those mistakes that has a long, long chain of events. And we can get into some, some historical details. Like, yes, technically, if a, if a slave has a, a child by a, a, you know, the master of the house, that child is kind of legitimate and that he can inherit everything. But that's not, that's not what God said. Abraham was playing fast and loose with what God had said. Genesis chapter 15, 4, this is before that. uh, The word of the Lord came to him, Abraham, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Abraham, at this time, when God was making a promise that he would have a son, Abraham was like, I don't have any kids. I got this guy in my house. I guess I could adopt him, make him my son, and then we'll do it that way. And God was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. But at this point, it's been a while. Anybody ever feel like God's said something to you and it's taken a while? Like, you were back over here and he said some stuff and you were like, I I know you said it, but I'm not there. I'm over here now. And you said that back there. I know how to do that here. So you know what, God? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Anytime we have to tell God, I'm going to help you out, God goes, I wouldn't do that if I were you. God does not need our help to accomplish his promises. You've got to do your job. You've got to do what he told you, but he doesn't need your help to bring it to completion. We have a saying, really, it's more of a question in my house. When we're trying to figure something out, like we feel like God has said something, and we're trying to accomplish that thing, we go, okay, um, my, wh- my wife will ask, or she'll ask me, and we'll say, Whose hands? Is it my hands trying to accomplish this thing, or is this thing in God's hands? The second big issue in this particular mistake is at no point in the story is God consulted. At no point do we have it recorded that, that Sarah, his wife, comes to him and, and, and he sa- she says, you know, I think you should go be with my slave. Abraham goes, okay. One of them should have gone, but let's go ahead and ask God. Let's just take some time to pray about this thing and see if this is the direction we should be heading. They didn't do that. There is a time to act, and there is a time to wait. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Sometimes we are called to act, and sometimes we are called to wait. To act too soon is disobedience. And at at no point did they decide to come to God to see if they're supposed to act or if they're supposed to wait. And our application is that we learn to wait on the Lord. Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. We have to learn to wait. We want answers. We want quickness, right? But if you've ever done certain, like, I made pulled pork last night. Anybody love pulled pork? I love pulled pork. It's like as a blessing from Jesus. Oh my goodness. I took a bite, I wasn't even hungry. I took a bite and I was like, oh, I'm so hungry now. I could just sit here and eat this whole thing. It was, it was a big one too. But you know what you can't do with pulled pork? You can't rush that process. If you're gonna smoke it or if you're gonna slow cook it. You just gotta put it in there and let it do its thing. You can't rush that. And we wanna rush things. We wanna chuck it in the microwave. We want to just go through the drive-through. But if it's going to be good, it's going to take time. And sometimes we want to know, like, how do I know, though, if it's time to act or time to wait? Because, again, there is a time to act and a time to wait. How do we know? And here's what I always tell people. If you're following Jesus, if you are pushing into the Holy Spirit, and God is your focus and that's what you want, then you will know by his peace. Now, we've got to be careful. I I don't want to get sidetracked because I don't have a note for this. I keep myself on target. You can have false peace, right? I hear people all the time say, well, Jesus slept in a boat, so you can sleep too. Yeah, Jonah slept in a boat too. You can have false peace. So that's why I very carefully, it's predicated on the fact that you're trusting Jesus. You're walking with Jesus. You are pressing into the Holy Spirit. And if you feel that peace, then that's how you know what to do. How do I know that? Psalms 26, uh, sorry, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. God gives perfect peace or shalom, shalom to those who need it when we're listening for his words. Jesus says in John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We press into God and we receive his peace. And again, sometimes that peace is saying, sit down and wait. Sometimes that peace, my wife can tell you from experience, last weekend, sometimes that peace is get off your butt and do this thing I'm telling you to do. Peace is present in both situations because he is the prince of peace. Mistake number four, repeat offender. Abraham is now back in Canaan, again, Israel. And he's confronted again with somebody who finds his wife attractive. And she's like almost 100 years old at this point. I don't think you guys fully understand what I'm saying. The woman is like 99 years old. And Abraham says about his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gar had Sarah brought to him. Again, Abraham fails his wife and his name. He chooses fear instead of trusting God to protect. Because remember, faith and fear usually sit right next to each other because faith is often action in the midst of fear. But Abraham didn't learn his lesson from before. Last time he was blessed with gifts. And often, until we are held accountable, we are going to continue the same actions. See, a sign of maturity is that when we sin, we hear God's voice. That as we're walking with him and pressing into Jesus and trusting the Holy Spirit, when we sin, when we we get off course, we feel God's correction. And because we're mature, usually, it's like a soft little nudge. God's like, hey, mm mm-mm, I don't think so. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Or we're in our prayer time, and we're thinking about some stuff, and we're getting off track, and we feel the Holy Spirit go, no go okay it's a sign of maturity is that all god's got to do is just kind of gently nudge you like gracie don't do that you go okay not a problem i'll repent i'll change direction that's all repent means you're doing one thing you repent change direction do something different but before we get to a place of maturity we usually have to be called out for our behavior And that's what's happening here. Genesis chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Then Abilamech called Abraham in and said to him, what have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done things that you should have never been done. Abilamech also asked Abraham, who made you do this? God comes to Abilamech in a dream and tells him what's going on, and Abilamech pleads for his innocence. He's like, I did not know. And God says, I know. I kept you from doing anything that would cause you to sin against me. Abraham needs to be called out, though. So Abraham is God's chosen one. He's the one who's going to start this family of faith. This thing that we have today all comes because Abraham was a man of faith, but he's not a man of faith at this moment. This is one of those deciding moments. So what, what, what happens is we've got to understand shame and honor, okay? Abraham had brought dishonor on himself and on his wife. He brought dishonor and shame on his name. He had once again denied the truth and almost allowed his wife to be defiled by somebody because of his weakness. He shamed her and he shamed other people, and he had to be held accountable for his actions. So Abilamech comes to Abraham in front of everyone and calls him out. Have you ever been called out in front of people? I mean, like, Tony, seriously, again, man? You feel weak. You feel like, ugh. it hurts. You feel this pain, this, like, emptiness. Abraham had to be called out because he was acting like an idiot. He was doing things that should have never been done. He was weak in his faith and causing other people to be shamed because he was being weak. And his name was supposed to, remember, have honor and have glory. God was going to bless his name and make it something great. And right now, his name is something of shame. Shame cuts us deep, and it just, it hurts And it's like an open wound once it happens and things just keep, you start putting other stuff in there as well. And you're like, yeah, they're talking about this and they're absolutely right, but oh, they knew this too. And then you put those things in there and then you just start loading up the shame and you start loading up the shame and you start carrying it around. And you take it everywhere with you because you've got the shame and this guilt and you just, you feel wretched, Like, wretched is the word for that. You just feel like everywhere I go, I'm going to carry it around with me because I deserve this shame, and you start hunching over. Next thing you know, you're like Quasimodo. You're hunched over. You can't even stand up straight because it's weighing you down. But God, best words in the entire Bible, but God, God did not end it there. Shame was used to bring Abraham where he needed to be. And our application is God allows shame and brings honor. First, Abraham had to be shamed because he was not acting right. But God wanted to bring honor to him and use him to bring honor to others. And he was going to do it even if it hurt Abraham in the process. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The band can come up. We do things all the time. We do things where we... We 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 pile shame on ourselves. We let others because we've not been acting right, and God calls us out for it, and He's got to correct us for it, and all these things. But God says, "I want to bring honor to you." I don't I don't I don't know about you, but I don't I don't ever often feel worthy of honor. I don't feel like I should have anything else but shame. But God says, "I, "I don't want you to live there. I wanted you to experience it for a minute." Oh, I wanted you to feel that shame just for a moment so that you knew that you weren't good enough to do this on your own. But I've got honor because I'm going to put my name on you. His name, the name of God is the name that sustains the entire universe. The name of Jesus is the name that is greater than every other name possible. You pick something that you could put a name to, it submits to Jesus. Shame under Jesus. Cancer, under Jesus. Poverty, under Jesus. Helplessness, under Jesus. Hopelessness, under Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to put my name on you. That is the most amazing thing ever. Can we bring up those last two verses I have from uh, Romans again? Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You might not have started out very faithful, neither did Abraham. You might not have started out and done the things you were supposed to do, neither did Abraham. You might have gone to places that you shouldn't have gone to, so did Abraham. You might have denied some things and lied about some stuff that you shouldn't have, so did Abraham. You might have made some mistakes that have lasting impacts for generations, and there's nothing you can do about the fact that those consequences now exist out in the world, so did Abraham. You might have messed up again and done the same stupid thing, that you keep finding yourself doing, so did Abraham. And then he becomes the father of faith. Don't let your past decide what you will be tomorrow. Don't let what you did yesterday decide what you will do tomorrow. If you messed up, get back up, dust yourself off in the name of Jesus, understand that he put his name on you, and walk into your future. this in romans that's the background that's why we were supposed to read that and go thank you jesus because it's been credited to me for righteousness because of who you are lord jesus i thank you for this morning i thank you for this time i i thank you for your love that you have for us that you love us so much that you will continue push us forward for your name's sake, thank you for putting your name on us and thank you for loving us jesus if there's anyone here who doesn't know that let them submit to you now let them fall into who you are and see that it's your name that will make them great and that you can restore all things jesus my god we love you so much we want to see you honored and glorified in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our city, in our nation. We bless your holy name, Lord. Amen. We'll have the prayer team come up. We'll have people up front, Please, people in the back. Uh, if you need prayer, please come forward. Respond as the Lord leads.
1: Oh, Trust what you say that you're. Yeah. what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life Sing that chorus out yeah, one more time Give me faith to trust me That's your good, and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. I need you to soften.